Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. And so it's Sunday. I've been thinking recently how strange it is that in English we actually name the, na the na days of the week after pagan gods. Have you ever wondered about that? Sunday, the day that you worship the sun. Monday is the moon god. Tuesday is the god Chus. Wednesday is Woden, otherwise known as Odin. Thursday, Thor. Friday, under a goddess, Frigga, F-R-I-G-G-A. And she was actually married to Woden, but she's one we, well, we've forgotten. But we name Friday after Saturday, Saturn, and back to Sunday. Many of you know that we lived in Brazil for a number of years, and they have a much more sensible idea regarding the naming of their days. Most of the days, five of the days, they name after street markets, and so Monday is second market, and Tuesday is third market, and so on. Segunda-feira, terça-feira, quarta-feira, quinta-feira, sexta-feira. And so it goes on to Friday, and that's the sixth um, market, and then Saturday is Sabado, which is Sabbath, and then Domingo, which is Sunday, which means of the Lord. And that's a much better way, isn't it? of naming the days of our week. And for us, of course, it's always Domingo. It's the Lord's Day. And as we've been reminded already this morning, this is a special Lord's Day. And we remember the fact that our Lord is not dead. He's alive. My assignment this morning is to speak to you on what is sometimes known as, and often known as, the Emmaus Road experience, and our reading is from Luke 24, and Isabel's going to help me in the reading this morning, so if you come forward, Isabel, we'll work together on that, and your dad has the mic for you. Thank you. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here in the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. They said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told him, Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the woman had said. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe that all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and at the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was going on, but they begged him, Stay the night with us, since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and at that moment he disappeared. They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Thank you. Imagine with me, it's the 9th of April, it's the year AD 30, and two men were making their way from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a distance of about 11 kilometers. And they were sad and they were overwhelmed by the things that had happened in Jerusalem over these last few days. I mean, they were amazing things. They were gruesome things, and they were disappointing things. After all, they were followers of this man called Jesus, the one they were increasingly recognizing as the Christ, and they had taken him, and they had placed him on a cross, and they had nailed those nails into his hands and his feet. And one of the soldiers had got a spear and thrust it into his side. And they were disappointing days. I mean, these men had such great hopes that this man, Jesus, was the one who was going to deliver Israel. This man had taught them the way to eternal life, and now he was dead. They were disappointed. The Bible says that there were two men, and one was called Cleopas, and the other were not given as identity, we're not given his name, it wouldn't be hard to persuade me that it was Luke. Luke wrote a large part of the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, from which we've read this morning, and also the Acts of the Apostle, and we know that in the Acts, Luke was actually there, at least in time, and yet one of the characteristics of Luke is he never mentions himself by name. And so it wouldn't surprise me if the other person who goes unnamed, was the author himself, Luke. Of that, we cannot be sure. But it was a disappointing kind of Friday. And as we look at it, there are, I just want to take two simple sentences, and the first is, they crucified him. And that was disappointing. I mean, they were very, very sad, and you can understand it. And if Friday the death of Jesus had remained that way, we, would still be, we wouldn't be here. But we did read together in Scripture, they stopped short, sadness written across their faces. They were so sad, their Messiah was now dead. And it says, we had hoped that the Messiah who would come and rescue Israel, and it all happened three days ago, and you can understand the disappointment of these people, these two men. 
One of the strange things for us as we read the story, and I'm sure there are other details that could be written into it. This is what the Holy Spirit has breathed upon these pages. But basically, they didn't recognize this Jesus. Why was it? Well, as I've developed the message during the week, it seems to me that there are a number of possible explanations. And one is, maybe they hadn't actually seen him in the flesh. I mean, it's possible. Historians tell us that pilgrims came to Jerusalem by the hundreds of thousands at the time of Passover. And maybe they didn't even see him. Or it could be that Jesus actually came in a different resurrected body, and that's possible. In fact, in Mark, the end of Mark, it says that Jesus appeared in another form to two of them as they made their way into the country. So it could be. And certainly, the body of Jesus pre-resurrection was different from it after resurrection. And here we find that he appears suddenly to them. And at the end of what we're going to discuss, we find that he disappears suddenly. Could be that. They didn't recognize it, but it simply says God kept them from recognizing him. There's a word we use in English, it's the word crucial. It comes from the, word, the Latin word cross. And the death of Jesus was crucial. crucial. It was crucial for you and for me that we might find the way to life, the way to eternal life, and it is crucial. And these two men, they were others, were standing at the very pivot of history. I mean, in years to follow, history would be divided into B.C. and A.D., before Christ and after Christ, or in the year of our Lord. I mean, amazing things had happened when Jesus came, and amazing things happened when he died. And we asked the question, why? I mean, weren't they expecting the Messiah? Didn't they read the Bible every day? Hadn't they memorized the whole of the Old Testament? Weren't they experts in the law? Of course they were. But they didn't recognize the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. And it does actually say, Jesus himself, he said, and the tense of the Greek into which it was written, our Lord was saying and kept on saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. A few weeks later, St. Peter says, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance but God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah. The years go by and amazing things happen. There's one whom the world will know as St. Paul. We just call him Brother Paul. And he's in the center of Turkey in a place called Antioch and Pisidia. And he's in the synagogue and he's speaking to Jews. Paul himself, at the time of the Emmaus experience, was a persecutor of Jesus. And soon he would be a persecutor of the newly established church. But he's been changed. He was making his way to Damascus. And suddenly Jesus appeared to him. 
And I wonder if this morning Jesus will appear to you. You've lived your life and you've lived in disdain of Calvary and Jesus has meant nothing to the way that you live on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But this morning suddenly the, the power of God comes. The Spirit of God works in your life and suddenly you realize that things are different and you realize that Jesus is alive and you say he died for me. But anyway, here's Paul, and his life has been totally changed. And Jesus has spoken to him, and when he's speaking to the people in the synagogue, he says the people in Jerusalem, their leaders, did not recognize Jesus as one of the prophets. Sorry, as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him, and in doing this, they fulfilled the prophets' words that they read every Sunday. And ladies and gentlemen, it was all part of the eternal plan. Sometimes we get the impression that Jesus was a martyr. No, he wasn't. Sometimes we get the idea that it was some kind of big mistake. No, it wasn't. It was part of a plan that had been in the mind of God from before the creation of the world. And you were in that plan. That's an amazing thing. The Bible says that every believer was in the heart of God before the creation of the world. In the next slide, we read Paul, and he's telling us a little bit more. So if we go to the next slide. And it tells us about the love of God. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And ladies and gentlemen, Christ didn't die for us because we were lovable. He died for us out of the love of his own heart for us, and we didn't want him even. I mean, if we'd been one of the crowd, we probably would have said, good on you for crucifying this peasant preacher who claims to be the Messiah. I mean, we were still sinners, says Paul, and Christ died for us, and Christ died for you. Have you realized that? I mean, Friday, Easter Friday, the death of Jesus, there was no mistake, it was a purposeful, intentional thing that God had planned from before the creation of time. Now, as part of the conversation, we find that if it were not so serious and so sad, it would be almost laughable. It says, then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there these last few days. Strikes me as strange. Here's Jesus with them. He's, walking, he's, still got, he's got wounds in his hands. And if they could have seen, they could have seen the wounds in his side. Just a few days later, there was a man called Thomas who also was very skeptical. And when he challenged Jesus, he said, look at my hands and look at my side. Still wounded. And the wounded Jesus was there. And in fact, he was the only one who really knew what had happened that day. He was the one who stood in the judgment hall. He was the one of whom Pilate said, will you have me release Jesus to you or Barabbas, the one who had committed murder in the insurrection? He was a rebel. And he was the one who had heard the crowds call out, Away with this man, we want Barabbas, crucify him, crucify him. It was he, Jesus, the one to whom they were speaking, who had heard these words. 
And he was the one who struggled as he took the cross beam of the cross through the streets of Jerusalem along what we today call the Via Dolorosa. It was very heavy and there was a man called Simon and Jesus saw that. And Simon took that cross and carried it. And he was the one that people mocked and they said, you claim to be the king of the Jews then? You can be a king. And they gave him a robe and they gave him a scepter. It was just a reed. That was ridiculing the king of kings. And they got that long thorn briar and they crushed it on his head. You want a, you're a king so you can have a crown and here's a crown. And it was upon his head that the crown was thrust. And he was the one who had those nails through his hands and his feet and that spear in his side. He was the one. And yet they said, are you the only one? You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all these things that happened there the last few days. They'd heard the rumor. These men had heard the rumors because beforehand they had actually heard that there was talk that this man Jesus, who had been crucified, was actually not dead now. He was alive. I mean, if you go earlier in the chapter, it actually says, he isn't here, he's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he will rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this, so they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look, stooping. He peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. And so there was an empty tomb. And that got them thinking. I mean, sometimes we get the idea that people who lived in those days, they were very super, superficial superstitious is the word I want, and they'd believe anything. No, they weren't. They were intelligent men and women. They didn't know about jumbo jets and internet and laser and space travel, but they were intelligent men. They knew that people just don't come alive again once they're dead. And so you can understand that skepticism. I mean, they're beginning to understand now that Someone actually has seen an empty tomb and they've heard from angels that he's alive. And so Jesus is walking with these two men. There are three now. We don't know how long it took, maybe three hours. I mean, if it's about 11 kilometers, if you're making good progress, you do it in three hours. It wasn't a long journey. But eventually they invite him to come and stay with him. Now, or should I say before that, he actually says to them, you foolish people. Now, as I was thinking about it, I thought, hmm, that wouldn't go down well if it were, they were New Zealanders. You know, I mean, one of the characteristics of our culture is that we're very easily offended. That's not true of a lot of cultures. I remember when I was in Zambia, they used to talk to each other in a way that I would have thought very offensive. You know, but they were good friends. 
and certain other European cultures are the same, but we're a little bit sensitive and somebody said to us, a stranger who doesn't really know us so well, so we think, they said to us, you fools, that's the end of it, we're not inviting you to our place, you know. So our Lord was a person who was straight from the shoulder, of course, and, and he rebukes them. I mean, not only calls them foolish, but he actually rebukes them for not believing and not knowing. You find that in verse 26. And it says, going at verse 26, as I find it here in my Bible, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, that's interesting. They didn't have Bibles in their hands because it was impossible for an individual to own even the Torah. I mean, it was written longhand on parchments and all rolled up. And if you had the Old Testament all written out, it would make a mountain of scrolls. They couldn't carry a Bible around with them like you can. But they knew the Bible well, and when our Lord talked to them, they understood. And it says here that he taught them from all the scriptures from all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, was this representative or was it exhaustive? Well, you can make up your own mind. I think it was representative because it was less than three hours, remember. I wonder if they, if Jesus began with Genesis 3.15 where you have the first gospel verse in the Bible. And you find that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. I wonder if he talked about Passover, because it was a time of Passover and the significance of Passover in the Old Testament. I wonder if they thought about that. Or maybe it was the story of the serpent in the wilderness, because he would talk about that when he was talking to a man who came to him by night, Nicodemus. I wonder, and I am certain that he did speak about the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, and some of you will know it, and some of you, when you were young, heard it repeated so often in church that you memorized the whole chapter. But if you go back just one page of your Bible to chapter 22 and verse 37... Now, it's just four days before. It's the eve of his crucifixion. And our Lord is telling his disciples what we call the discourse in the upper room. And our Lord says to his disciples, For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. And that's Isaiah 53. So Jesus is saying, Isaiah 53 is now being fulfilled in me now. So he certainly talked about Isaiah 53. But it's now dark and some people may conjecture that maybe they didn't recognize Jesus because it was getting dark. We don't know. But by now it's dark and Jesus gave out that he was going to go on, but they said, no, stay the night with us. 
And we find there something pretty unusual. It says, as they sat down to eat, he, Jesus, took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave to them. You'd almost think he was the host, not the guest. I mean, he was a stranger, but now he takes control, as it were, and he takes bread and he breaks it and he gives it to them. And that's pretty unusual. And then there's something wonderful. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him and at the moment he disappeared. But now they can see him. Now they know who he is and they did, he, they did it. He saw it during the breaking of the bread. Now, we'll be breaking bread shortly. Almost certainly they weren't celebrating what we call the Lord's Supper or Communion. Almost certainly it was an ordinary meal. He took the bread and he broke it and they recognized him at that particular time. But it's not impossible, not impossible, improbable, but not impossible that it was celebrating our Lord because it was only four days before that Jesus had actually instituted the Lord's Supper and took bread and broke it and said, this is my body. And he said regarding the cup of wine, this is a, a symbol of my body, of my blood. Could be. But it could be this morning that for someone, you have not yet entered into a living relationship with Jesus. And right now, this morning, as people take bread and they drink this juice in memory of Jesus, suddenly you make a commitment of your life to Christ. And for those who, by the grace of God, have known the Lord now for a long time, as we recommit ourselves to the Lord, we take bread, but we know it's more than bread, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of the body of Jesus that was on that cross that disappointing Friday. And we take the blood, and, or rather, we take the cup, which is a symbol of the blood of Jesus, which was shared on that resurrection day. The years go by, and by now Paul is converted, and we'll go to the next slide. He's had a number of things revealed to him, and in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, he's talking about resurrection, and he says, if there's no resurrection, Christ is still dead, and preaching and faith are of no avail. The apostles have been lying, we are still guilty of our sins, all dead Christians are lost, and we have to be greatly pitied. And that's still true. If Christ is not raised, and then he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and we're the first of the great harvest. He is the, great, the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Isn't that good? And we would be miserable people. We wouldn't be here if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead. But we're here because he did. And we come, if we can, every Sunday and sometimes more often because we love him. He didn't only rise from the dead and become alive. He is alive. He is living right now. And so we come to an exciting Sunday. And the expression there is Jesus is alive. You see, the story of Jesus didn't finish on Skull Hill that the Greeks called Calvary. 
but rather he rose from the dead and that's why we're here this morning and that's why we live the way we do and that's why we have the hope that we have because Jesus rose again and that's an exciting day. That's an exciting truth. One of the strange things is that Jesus had told his disciples time and time and time again that he was going to Jerusalem, that he would suffer, he would die, but he would be raised from death. But somehow they didn't understand it. We don't know exactly when Jesus died. He died Sunday morning. It was very early. The women had gone to the tomb very early. And the angels were already there. It's quite interesting, in the 19th century, an inscription was found in Israel, and it's called the Edict of Nazareth. It's dated to about AD 30, AD 40, and in it it says that anybody who takes anything from a tomb or anybody who takes a body from the tomb will die. They deserve death. And of course, people think, well, why the edict? Why did they have to do it then? Could be that they were trying to stop it happening again, as they thought, that the body of Jesus had been stolen. I mean, that was the lie that they said. I have here a quotation from Max Licato. Some of you know Max, or not personally, but you know him by writing. He says that he became a believer when he was about 20, but when he was about 22, 23, he began to have doubts. And he said to a Christian friend, he said, how can we know that Jesus is alive? And the friend said to him, well, if he died, where's his body now? And Lucado says, well, I know that that's Apologetics 101 now, but it was very convincing for me. He's written a lot of books, and in one of the books, he, and he's very poetic, he's very imaginative in the things that he says. He said, on Friday, the angels lowered their heads. On Saturday... They kept their vigil. But on Sunday, on the third day, in the pre-dawn hours in the heart of Joseph's tomb, the heart of Jesus began to beat. Oh, to have seen the moment, to have heard the sudden intake of air, to observe the eyes of Jesus blink open and to have seen his smile. Don't you know a smile spread across the victor's face? The first breath of Christ means the final breath of death. And so our Lord came to life. And he's alive. It's quite interesting that in the times of Jesus, when he walked this planet, when he had flesh and walked among us, 
When criminals died, they very often would throw these criminals into a common grave and you'd have all these bodies and eventually all these bones together. But Jesus, even though he was considered a criminal, he wasn't thrown into a grave like that. And if he had, it would have been very difficult to know if he had risen again or not. But he was actually placed in a new tomb. He was the only one in it. And when they looked in, he wasn't there anymore. And that's all part of God's plan. We could see that our Lord now was alive. And now they're excited. Oh, by the way, there's another slide coming up. And I've known, I've known and liked this little quotation for a long time. If, it's by Vernon McGee. And he says, If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then I myth-led, myth-taken, and utterly mytherable. <laughs> and we're not mytherable this morning. We rejoice with these two Emmaus disciples because we know that Jesus is alive now. And that has tremendous impact upon our lives. Now, these two men, you, you, I mean, in the light of resurrection, you can't stay the same. These two men, they're excited now. And it actually says that very hour, they went back to Jerusalem. It was dark. It take, would take three hours. And they went back and they found, yes, everybody knows that now Jesus is alive. Isn't that good news? Isn't that wonderful? Our Lord is alive. And so we start to think about it, and these men, they really rejoiced. They were excited now. Didn't their hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? They can't be the same. They would never be the same again. And once Christ touches your life, you can't be the same again. Would you allow him to touch your life? I'm not asking you if you're going to come to church regularly. I'm not asking you if you want to be baptized. I'm not asking you if you want some to be a member of a church, any church. I'm not asking that. I'm saying, has Christ touched your life? And you say, I'm yours now, Lord. You can make that decision today. And maybe for some of us, we need to recommit ourselves to Christ. And we say, you died for me, and now I give myself again to you with an excited heart. You were dead, but you're alive. And our Lord Jesus, he did not say, I was alive, but now I'm dead. He said, I was dead, but now I'm alive. And our Lord is alive. Isn't that exciting? And we live in the joy of Sunday. The story is told of an African Muslim convert. And he was asked by somebody why he converted to Christianity. He said, well, it's like this. He said, if you're going down a road and there's a fork on the road and on one side there's a dead man, on the other side there's a live man, who would you ask which way to go? <laughs> Christ is alive, ladies and gentlemen, and it has a big effect on our lives now. And because of that, we can strengthen our faith, knowing that our Lord is alive. We don't have, I mean, we're thinking men and women and problems come and sometimes we wonder, but we, we can always come back to this, Jesus is alive. Christian faith is true. What the Bible says is true. And we strengthen our faith. And he still draw near to us, and sometimes suddenly, just as he did to these Emmaus disciples, and maybe unexpectedly, you've come to church this morning and you expected the same old, same old, and suddenly you say, no, it's different now, because I give myself to the Jesus. He's appeared to me, as it were, with the eye of faith, and I give myself to him. 
And he continues to reveal to us wonder upon wonders. One of the early missionaries to the Picts was trying to evangelize the king of the Picts. And the king said, if I become a Christian, what would I find? And he said, you'll discover wonder upon wonder and every one of them true. We're going to pray now. And after that, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, bread, fruit juice. And we're going to just thank the Lord. Can we have the next slide? And maybe this is your prayer, and maybe it isn't, but we're going to be silent for a minute. And you may like to pray this prayer, or maybe it's your own. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we come to the climax of the service this morning, maybe you just thank the Lord, just lift up your heart and say, Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for the salvation that I have in Jesus. Thank you for that body which was given for me. Thank you for that blood that was shed for me. And we're going to all pray silently. Can we pray something like this, Lord? Because your son is alive, I can live with confidence. I thank you I can be confident in what I believe. I can be confident that because I believe in you, I'm heaven bound. I can be confident because I know my prayers are heard because my Savior is alive and knows my needs. Let's all pray for one minute as we head towards the breaking of bread and maybe in a mysterious way but a wonderful way the Lord will make himself known to us I don't mean some kind of vision I just mean in our hearts and we feel a joy and we feel a refreshing and we feel a renewing as the Lord makes himself known to us as we take bread and as we take wine but let's all pray Lord, you've heard every prayer. We give thanks for the bread. We give thanks for the cup. We give thanks for salvation. We thank you that you called us to yourself. And we say thank you in the name of your Son, who by your grace is our Savior. Amen.